0: Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown, and this is the podcast that discusses the ins and outs of life in the London Philharmonic Orchestra. There's one instrument that we haven't really talked about very much so far, and that's an instrument that we all possess. The voice. Well, how does a singer combine with the orchestra? Well, I'm delighted to be joined by the baritone Roderick Williams, principal horn player with the LPO Johnny Ryan, and their principal cellist Christina Blauminer. Welcome back, Johnny and Christina, and so fantastic to have you with us here, Ruddy. Hello. Hi. Good Hi, good morning. Well, right. I'm looking forward to seeing how this collaboration happens. I'll start with you first, Ruddy. Can you tell me about the first time you performed with the LPO?
1: Gosh. Do you know what, Yolanda? It's so long ago that I can't tell you about (laughs) about that first time. I'd need to go back to my archives. Upstairs, I've got all my old programmes. You keep everything. uh, Yeah, I keep everything as much as I can in year order so that when I've retired, when I'm old and crusty and can show my grandchildren, my (laughs) great-grandchildren, that I actually did sing once, you know, and I don't look at them until I kind of have retired. It's sort of superstition, as it were. I'll give you a call yeah right? and, and, I'll ring and I'll say this is it this is the first concert I ever did you know back in 1936 or something. So, yeah. <laughs> well
0: it, you know it's not so much the date that I'm interested in to be honest it's like what was that first feeling of walking in seeing all of those faces an orchestra that you know I've got to know that they're an amazing family how did you feel when you first met them
1: walking out in front of an orchestra can be an intimidating thing because they are a family and I'm an interloper. Obviously, in any such situation, it takes time to build up a relationship. Often, I see faces within the orchestra that I know, people I know mm. um, from slightly different walks of life. For example, slightly randomly, Tom Watmer on Second Clarinet. I know him from a previous life down at the Indian Festival in North Cornwall. So every time I come to the LPO, you know, we find our eyes meeting across the orchestra and we, <laughs> we meet up and discuss our children and how they're getting much older and all sorts of stuff. So when you first meet an orchestra, it's a sea of faces. When you can break that down into individuals and start Mm -hmm. building relationships, then that sea of faces becomes the family that you were just describing.
0: And to you, Christina, what is it like when a singer joins the fold? What's that like? Well, our orchestra is
2: really fortunate to work with singers regularly because, of course, of the Glyndebourne Festival every summer. So we, I think, are equally comfortable in symphonic repertoire as well as opera repertoire, as well as mass or oratorio, anywhere where their are singers are involved. I personally have a very, very long history with singers because my both parents are opera singers. I honestly feel completely at home with this world of singers. I think that everyone in the orchestra, we know, you know, that a voice requires a special attention, not just for balance, but mostly because, of course, voices has the privilege to have the words Mm. and the words have a particular way of phrasing. I mean, this is not just the musical line, but it's also how composer has put those words into the phrase. And in order for that word to work in every language, there needs to be a certain space that orchestra is aware. So it's not only about the balance, it's a lot about feeling that flexibility and that Space yeah.
0: around words. I just want to bring Johnny in. When a singer comes to the stage, especially with the French horn, you've got a bit of volume on you over there in that in that section of the orchestra. How does it feel when you've got a singer in the mix?
3: It's wonderful. I think that both the cello and the horn and Christina would probably agree with it. We're quite sort of singing, melodic instruments, and so a lot of the time when we're playing, if there is problems, reverting to. Just asking yourself a simple question, how would I sing it, would often brings the solution with it. Obviously, we play quieter more often than not, mm. but pretty much if you can hear the singer, that's okay. What's amazing, actually, and what I don't know many people will get, is h- how loud a singer can be. Ah. And when the singer, I remember playing Das Lied von der Erde, and we recorded it. I think it was with Sarah Connolly and Toby Spence with Yannick neze And I remember thinking that I wasn't sure what the recording was going to be like because the singers were singing out the front, so it was very hard to hear them. They were facing with their backs to us. But the recording was fantastic and, you know, occasionally then some singers will turn around and face the orchestra and sing so that you can hear what they're doing. You're like, whoa, it's huge. It's like it's really, (laughs) really something like it's a special, special sound. So, yes, the balance can be an issue. Just trust the conductor, I think, especially in the pit. When you don't have that connection, sort of a direct connection with the singer's, you know that sound is bouncing all over the place. By the time you're hearing it, it's probably come off three or four different walls. So by the time they hear it, it's the same thing. So there's a lot of trust with the conductors, just that they've got a handle on that.
1: I have to say, I really love those rehearsals where we do get a chance to turn around and face the orchestra. and So you can see people's faces. You can connect with orchestra members with whom you might be having uh, duet partnerships within the texture of the music. Mm-hmm. And they also get a chance to hear the text front way round rather than us as John, johnny says with with us facing the audience we can all connect like chamber musicians in a way and then when it comes to the concert and i'm facing the other way i know who is playing what behind me and i feel we're all engage in the same endeavour.
0: You know, this is why I love this podcast because it's so fascinating. When I came on, I thought, you know, I'm going to be on the singer side. It must be so hard to have to sing over you know, nearly 100 musicians on the stage. But just hearing you there, Johnny, say, well, actually, sometimes they can really belt out as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so now it's an equal playing field. Sorry, Ronnie, I'm not on your side <laughs> But actually, Ronnie, do you feel that you have to change how you project depending on, you know, the orchestra that you're playing with, or even, I guess, definitely depending on the hall you're in.
1: It's an interesting question, and I'm asked it a lot, and I'm not absolutely sure what the answer is, because mm. I would love to feel that I have the capability to come into different rooms and different circumstances and think, ah, right, this is a full symphonic orchestra now with, with eight desks of first violins. I need to bring on my special eight desks of first violins voice. <laughs> but the truth is, I've got my voice, and that's it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just my voice. Obviously, I can sing loudly when I want to, and I can sing quietly when I want to, but that's about the range. There might be something I do without realising it in terms of intention. When I'm standing on a stage of a large concert hall and I'm looking up and observing people sitting at the back of the high balcony, or when I'm doing a small intimate house concert in someone's front room you know the idea is not to pin them against the back wall (laughs) you know every human being is aware of different circumstances but the basic idea is that I've got one voice and I do what I do but then the conductor often in cahoots with an assistant who's actually out in the hall listening can give them sort of bar by bar analysis of when maybe for a short passage when the singer's low and it hints or her voice that the orchestra's covering, and they can then manipulate that and change things to try and alter the balance
2: It really probably also depends on the scoring because as a cellist that uh, often has this problem when playing as a solo cello is probably not uh, considered as the most projective instrument when playing, let's say, with the symphony orchestras, there's always a constant balance issues. And uh, something that I've noticed, uh, particularly when it's not so much about if the orchestra is playing louder or softer, of course, it's a lot about that as well. But also if the orchestra is in the score and is exactly in the same register, as me if for example you you see that there's a very very thick scoring a lot of kind of around the baritone register clearly they have to be much more aware of it and careful and maybe the higher instruments at that moment could be not you know affecting the Mm. balance so much I mean that's a lot I've been thinking that probably has a lot to do with that as well.
0: For you Christina you're at the front of the stage, you know, and you, you, I guess you're the closest to the soloists um, here on this Zoom call at least. So when you're in Glyndebourne, for example, or you're in the pit and the singers are above, what's the difference then collaborating with the singer? Because you don't have the luxury of them turning around or hearing them in the auditorium. You're way below. How do you make that balance and keep in time?
2: Yes. And I have to say that every year arriving in Glyndebourne, it's quite unsettling, the first rehearsal, exactly for those reasons. Because, of course, I guess my position is a little bit more privileged in the pit in terms of where I sit than, let's say, Johnny, who sits always underneath the stage so when the stage is above your head you clearly it is very difficult to hear what's happening on the stage so as the principal string players we would be of course closer to the edge and for that reason would hear better but the problem is also in Glyndebourne and in some operas the pit is quite low depending on the scoring like the Wagner operas the pit goes really really very low. And of course, that affects how we how we hear the singers, unless they are standing on the very edge. But of course, they're also often sometimes facing other direction. They have to also act. That's part of the opera. Sometimes they go at the very back of the stage and sing from there. And then we can only rely to a conductor, which to be honest, is not the preferable <laughs> situation because it's always nice to have the safety. No, I mean, first of all, no, it's not just safety in it, but first of all, to have your own ears and your own musical awareness of what's happening and how you interact with the singers. And there, in some instances, it's literally just relying on a conductor, which is challenging. But then again, a human is a very adaptive creature, actually. I've noticed also how from the first rehearsal to already the performances, your ear actually also gets to adapt and you you're able to hear more and more it's just you know it's it's just getting used to
3: that's that's quite like what ronnie said earlier about you just you have a perception of whether you're in a small room or a bigger room and that you do quickly adapt to the situation where it sounds best without really realizing it's a subconscious thing and i think it always Mm. takes a little while for the orchestra to settle into the pit at Glyndebourne and also yes. when we get to September to settle back out of the pit in Glyndebourne <laughs> and to <laughs> get back onto the stage, the stage, suddenly it's like, oh, you know, we talk about reducing sound when we have one point of the season and then we talk about increasing sound at another point of the season. Yeah, yeah. But it's um, we're trained to listen more than almost more than anything and to try and find our place within whatever we're hearing.
1: I've often wondered whether particularly the woodwind and brass in opera pit orchestras know operas by the sound of the footsteps going, you know, so think, oh, it's Don Giovanni, because that goes, and then it goes, you know. In this, Christina, you stand a chance of being able to peer up. I can see, often make eye contact with... The principal players of the strings when I'm not not the cellos,
2: sadly not the cellos. But because you're
1: tucked underneath <laughs> in, in but, your yeah, configuration, well, we are yeah. always
2: we're always in the center. So the stage is on our back. We're you know we're not we're not really peeking. We can't have a peak because I think it's mostly the violins, violas who sit always at the edge and facing kind of sideways. So yes. that's why I'm so jealous of them because at least to have some idea so what's I happening idea. at least on the on the front of the stage.
1: Well, I've been on stage once or twice when there have been the odd sort of semi-nude or nude scene in an opera and I've always noticed how suddenly you see an awful lot more eyes in the orchestral pit so people seem to find a way to be able to move to the front and then just just peer up just for that one scene Weird, <laughs> isn't it? Anyway. so it is
0: possible <laughs> and so the opera experience for you Roddy I mean what is it like for you not to be able to see the orchestra because you spoke earlier about that lovely connection so now not being able to see the orchestra does it just feel like well there's accompaniment somewhere let me just be in the moment
1: there's yes and there's no in that because when you're on stage, as both Johnny and Christine have been saying, there's the acting to be done as well. And I am very present in the moment on stage, acting against, uh, against that's a good word, isn't it? With whoever is on stage with me. If there's something really going down on stage, it's unlikely at that moment that I'm facing someone off or of they're approaching me with a sword or whatever it is, it's unlikely I'm going to think, oh, Beautiful violin solo just at that point. Oh, listen to the flute just there. That's less likely. Um, However, given that what we said right at the beginning about my coming on uh, coming into rehearsal and facing the full might of an orchestra and seeing so many people, that always occurs to me in the Sitzprobe. This is the first rehearsal where singers meet the orchestra, and it's it's the German word for a seated rehearsal, which I always love because we're always standing. But it's the first time we we take away all the acting we've been doing for the last however many weeks, and we just sit down in our own clothes. face the orchestra and we rehearse together for the first and sometimes the last time they look so many in number sometimes I think how on earth am I going to be able to be heard across the top of this I think I nearly always think that then when we get on stage in the orchestra in the pit you have to try and carry that personal connection whatever you have built with them into that experience because we very rarely meet the orchestra after that We're often in costume, and then we take our breaks in our dressing rooms rather than risk going to the canteen and have someone accidentally throw a cup of coffee over us, or (laughs) maybe not accidentally. And so we meet less and less, and that is always a shame. Those connections we make in Aziz probably then have to sort of carry us through. There are many moments, I talk about being on stage in in the heat of the moment with another actor, but there are other moments when one's on stage, particularly when you're not singing, when you get a chance to be within the music. And I can think of many instances of those, of those moments, um, almost like orchestral interludes, or even just moments in between phrases when you can hear the orchestra really flying. If it weren't that I had to sing the next 10 minutes, I'd just sort of sit there and cry, you know, <laughs> just with the beauty of it all. And I'm right on top of it. You know, it's like sitting on the bonnet of a Maserati, you know, just those of you who had the chance to do that. Have you all had a chance to do that? <laughs>
0: oh, yes, of course. Just on the
1: weekend. Yes, good, good. good,
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> when you're performing Brahms's Requiem... How does that compare, performing a piece like that?
1: We talked a lot about being on stage and, and we talked a lot about the contact with the orchestra. In something like the Brahms Requiem, very specifically, the baritone solo part for which I've been employed, if I sang it to you now, end to end, it would probably take about three minutes, 15 seconds. There's not a whole amount for me to do. It's important when I do Well, it's important to me anyway, when I do it. But it is actually, in the scheme of things, quite a small part of a huge hole. Hole with a W, understand. And so I get the chance for the whole of the rest of the piece to sit there in between the conductor and the first violins and absorb the piece from absolutely within its centre I and within the heart. I've got Christina's sitting right behind me close enough to be able to tap me on the shoulder with her bow if things go wrong you know i would recommend it for those sort of hi-fi enthusiasts who love wearing the best headphones in order to get in the middle of the sound i get this as a live experience and you can feel the bass instruments coming through the floor it's as close as i can imagine to wearing a piece of music like a fur coat or something a big a big heavy coat and right in the middle in the brahms requiem the first movement has a lot of divisi cellos and violas so I'm there with that gorgeous rich sound behind me and I'm aware that the first violins are not playing for the whole of that first movement and then when it gets to the second movement and they put bows to the string then there's this new sound on my, coming through my right ear a sort of very slow Havan in three time at that second movement and I am aware that I have this incredibly privileged position of not having to do anything except sit and listen to this extraordinary music making from right in the centre
0: It's for the win. Johnny, what's one of your favourite pieces to play with a soloist up front?
3: As a horn player, I probably have to say Strauss's Four Last Songs. That is a piece that I think would be on most people's sort of top 10 or Desert Island discs, not only for when it was written in his life or the meaning of it, but it's so beautiful. The orchestration is wonderful. And I love shadowing the beautiful melodies that he's written for the singer and the interaction between the singer and the horn part. So from a personal point of view, I really enjoy that. And each performance of that is different on, you know, depending on the singer. So, yeah, I love that. I also like the serenade, the Britain serenade for tenor horn and strings. That's also, you know, really interesting piece. That piece was one piece where I started to realise when you're close to the singer, the difference between production of the consonants and the vowels within words mm. as a horn player as a wind player that was really interesting when you understand that the vowel sound is everything and the consonant has little to do with the weight of a word but yet is extremely important and it, it, that has influenced my own playing in fact when I teach where I try and get the my students or pupils, to produce a sound on the downbeat rather than to produce the consonant of the sound, if you know what I mean. I think that that was something that a chorus master once said to the choir to get, I think it was, I can't remember what the word was, but say, for example, it was Sanctus, that he'd get the production of the S out of the way before the downbeat so that the anctus of the word Sanctus came down on the downbeat. And it made a huge difference to the clarity of the words that the choir were singing at the time it's really it's really something that you can learn from a singer all the time about your own instrument or a singer could remind you about certain things that you may have forgotten in the sort of run-of-the-mill rehearsals schedule.
1: May, may I just leap in there, Yolanda, just yes. to say... Uh, just to pick up something that both Johnny and Christine have said, just because that's very interesting to hear Johnny say that about uh, the way that the human voice and singing is adapted to the way you play. And there is many the time that I use the reverse because I used to play the cello myself as a school kid, as a teenager, that I often refer to cello playing or in order to have an idea of legato. I talk a lot about the idea of connecting things in a, in a single bow, sometimes an endless single bow, but in order to get the idea of a phrase launching out and arriving somewhere and, and carrying thought to the end. Sometimes if your singing is literally just about text, word after word, it can become a bit leaden, a bit lumpy. But I borrow from orchestral playing, from instrumental playing, Hmm. to encourage someone to sing long. That's really, really interesting.
0: We do like to overshare here on LPR Stage. So have there been any sort of for want of another phrase, disaster stories of times when the orchestra maybe has come completely out of time with the singer. Or, you know, we've spoken so much about harmony and I love that, but it can't always be that
1: easy. The thing about it, particularly in opera, is that the singers have rehearsed for many weeks and Part of that rehearsal is the process of absorbing a piece geographically. Mm. So however well you may or may not know the piece before the rehearsals start, and we're supposed to know it very, very well, by the time it gets to the orchestral rehearsals, we know that when we sit down on this chair and look in that direction, these words will come out of our mouth. You begin to know your way around a piece so securely that you have to be letting your mind really wander to start forgetting things. When you do forget something, of course, there's very, very little help. The days of the prompter have gone. So you're kind of on your own. You just have to let the orchestra play for a bit until it, you're reminded of how the piece goes. There's a, there is a, an old Gleinborn story, which I hope I can tell here, and I'll just make up the details as we go, <laughs> of an old production of the Magic Flute. And they didn't have a prompter, but they asked the German coach, a lovely lady, if she would stand in the wings with the score, and if anybody forgot anything, she would prompt them. This is wonderful that she agreed to do this. The Papageno went out to sing his first aria and got caught in a mind loop. Oh. He just. So he just got caught <laughs> in this mind down. loop, you know. And once you get into that, he just couldn't get himself out. So he just sidled along to the wings to know that he could prompt. And when he got close enough, she whispered. You've gone wrong.
0: (laughs) Oh no, we don't have time for that, darling. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's been so lovely to hear from you all and to hear the, the similarities, but also the differences in terms of balance and in terms of how you collaborate with each other. I'd like to give you a chance just to say something to each other, which I really like here on LPO stage. Christina, is there something that you would like to say to singers, maybe through Roddy, you can pass it on to the rest of the singers of the world, but just about collaborating with singers, it can be something that you would love to change or it could be something that you just really enjoy?
2: No, I don't want to change anything. To be honest, I love singers. I love working with voice. And uh, please uh, come more back <laughs> and do something with us. No, really, it's wonderful. I absolutely love whenever we have something in repertoire with singers. Also, I love, of course, it's great to be in Glyndebourne and. In- play in a normal opera setting. But it's also great sometimes to do an opera performances that we do on stage as a concert performances where you get the chance to really interact with singers for us is really a treat. So I just want to do more. So I I, I don't have anything to say that you need to change perfect. for That's sure.
0: perfect. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> Johnny, what would you like to say to no, the
3: singers? I, I, I would say the same as Christina, really. The human voice has been around a lot longer than any Musical instrument, and most well certainly a lot of musical instruments were created to mimic human voice or the capabilities of a human voice, and so it's a wonderful instrument, if you like, even as a talking instrument, you know everybody has different languages, different voices, different accents, and those are also reflected in the musical instruments and the musical styles of the of different countries and different people so I think it's incredibly interesting and I think long may the positive collaboration last. That's brilliant.
0: Mm. And Roddy, is there anything that you'd like to say to the players of the orchestra?
1: Yes, I would like to thank you for your patience. This comes almost by way of an apology from (laughs) singers to instrumentalists, because... If you think about it, a lot of instrumentalists have started their instruments from an incredibly young age. You think of the Suzuki violin string players. Even without that method, some people have been playing their instruments for a couple of decades before they get to be a young player in an orchestra. And singers, although we might sing in choirs and things like that, we very rarely have been soloists until our voices have broken or for upper voices developed in such a way that we can begin to regard them as solo instruments. And that kind of is a later process. We're already a good 10 years, often, behind the instrumentalists. I've said to young singers a lot that of all the musicians who practice in conservatoires, you know, right now as we're speaking, nearly all of them use metronomes as part of their practice, except singers, Singers, for some reason, because, as christina said we 've got text or whatever reason, we very rarely use metronomes, and for this reason, singers are well known as most musicians, as having no sense of pulse whatsoever. I have witnessed it in myself and in my colleagues when orchestral musicians and even chamber musicians have accommodated a singer's rather loose perception of rhythm and time. And they say, oh, he's taking a breath there. And they're thinking, no, I just got the rhythm <laughs> wrong, actually. But uh, And everybody's so wonderful and accommodating to us that they just embrace the fact that singers can be a little bit vague sometimes. The third part of this apology and the thanking you for your patience is that singers' voices are extraordinarily fragile instruments can be fragile things if you step on them I do understand that if you leave them in the rain or whatever you know that's but when we're feeling good everything's fine and you know rock and roll and we come out and we belt it out when we pick up the slightest infection or slightest problem or we're just not feeling particularly good our voices can be susceptible to that so a three-hour recording session or rehearsal session suddenly we might not just might not be able to do it And there is more love and support and encouragement that I've seen from orchestral musicians in those circumstances when the wheels come off than any sense of frustration from the band, from the orchestra, thinking, oh, I made it all the way in for this session. Now the singer's saying they're not not, not able to do it. And I just have not seen that frustration. I
3: only get sympathy and support. I know that I, if I'm tired, my voice starts to crack. You know, at the end of a long yep. a long day, it goes even lower if that if you can imagine <laughs> and um, and so <laughs> it's no surprise to me that if singers don't look after their voices, not only their voices but by sort of extension, looking after their own physical well-being and yeah. their phys- their, th- themselves physically, that their voice will suffer because it can happen, you're driving home late from a gig in Leicester or something, suddenly you, you ring, you know, I think I'll ring mum, you ring home and you go, blah, 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 and she goes, you sound tired. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, well, yeah, because I am. But it's, it, it comes through in your voice an awful lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This gives rise to the image of singers as divas. And I'm sure I have singing colleagues who exploit the concept of the diva to comic proportions, and and I cannot speak for them. But certainly what you said, Johnny, about looking after ourselves, if you see a singer behaving in a certain way it may be because they are having to go into self-protection mode because they've just realized I'll give you an example sometimes when we go to parties amongst friends we arrive for someone's birthday party or whatever and my wife and i arrive and i see that it's a low ceilinged room oh, yep. and there's maybe some background music and everybody's yep, 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 at the top of their voices just to be heard my wife can see this look of panic in my eyes and we have a little unwritten code She'll go in, I will turn round, I will leave and go home, I'll do a, just a, a silent farewell, and then when everybody says, oh, is Roddy here? She says, oh, yes, I think he's, maybe he's just gone to the bar, he's in the, he's in the kitchen, whatever, and I've just gone, because literally ten minutes of chatting across that and I will be
3: wrecked. Yeah. Is that because so you'll have, have to talk louder? You do? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, without yeah, knowing yeah. it, you
2: strain your voice,
0: yeah. Uh, yes.
2: Straining, exactly. Not talking in the way that you would probably, as you were taught yeah. to sing and, and and think about it, how to... I mean, I, I studied singing a little bit, so and I know from my parents, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, Roddy, that is the perfect... Thanks and apology and thanks again. Um, (laughs) And a perfect way to wrap up our time together. I think we all understand that and uh, singers get the extra point for me. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much. It's been lovely to speak to you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Roddy Williams, Christina Blamina and Johnny Ryan for such an insightful chat, full of laughs, but also full of lots of information. Well, please do get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod. And thank you for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage.